when hearts collide. We're going to endeavor to get a deeper understanding of the fruits of the Spirit and to try to see how we can attain these wonderful, wonderful promises of God, the fruits of the Spirit. It's an interesting thing when you look into the Bible and you see the types of commands that are often given. A lot of the commands in the scriptures are heart commands, not action commands. You know, like, don't covet. That's a heart command. Have a heart that doesn't want other people's stuff. That's satisfied with where you are in life and what you have. Don't covet. Things like, love your neighbor. It's a heart command. It can involve actions and things like that, but it's a, it's a heart command. You know, have faith in God. It's a heart command. There are all these heart commands. How do you follow a heart command? You know, that's like somebody saying, don't be angry. And then you're like, but I am. I can do a, an action command, like park over here. I can do that, whatever my attitude is. (laughs) I can do that. But park over here with a good attitude, now it becomes an internal thing. And a lot of the commands in the scripture are heart commands. And that's where we notice the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. So the letter of the law focuses on actions and how we behave and can nitpick into the details of how we do things. Then there's the spirit of the law, which is the heart behind it. I think I mentioned this a week or two ago, the concept of malicious compliance. That's where you follow the rule with bad intent. It's where you're trying to break the spirit of the rule by following the rule. Oh yeah, well, my boss says I need to sweep the floor. Well, I'm just going to keep sweeping the floor. The building's on fire, but he said sweep the floor. So I'm going to sweep it and let this place burn to the ground. That's malicious compliance where you're following what you're told to do, but you're missing the spirit of the idea behind it. The spirit of the law is what we're going for in this. The letter of the law is something that you learn and you just do. The spirit of the law, the spirit of God is something that scripturally that we receive. It isn't something that we just do. It's something that we receive from God. We're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures that talk about receiving or God giving. And there's a spiritual component to this. So let's, let's read different varieties of scriptures talking about this receiving in a bunch of different verses. Romans eight fifteen. Romans 8, 15 says this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So there's a spirit that comes into us that we receive, and it's not a spirit of fear where we're a slave to fear, but it's a spirit of knowing that we're being protected by our heavenly Father. That in our heart, Instead of being afraid, we feel protected by our Father in heaven. It's a different heart condition, but it's a spirit that we receive. 2 Timothy 1.7, kind of along the same lines. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, it says in the NIV. A spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. King James, a sound mind. So 
we haven't been given a spirit of timidity. That's a, a shrinking back. It's not the same word as fear from Romans 8, but it's a timidity. It's an unsureness. It's, a, you know, just not really ready to go forward. Timothy uh, was hesitant. And so Paul writes to him and he says, look, the spirit you received isn't the spirit that's hesitant and, and timid. You received a spirit that's powerful and full of love and self-discipline. This is a spirit you've received. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So here's a distinction between the spirit of the world and a spirit from God that helps us to see what God has given us. So there's a receiving of a different spirit. Uh, a fun story in Acts chapter 8. You know, when a, when a sorcerer gets saved, it might take him a little bit to figure out how it all works. So that's part of this story in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So Samaria accepted the word of God. This is Acts chapter 8. So there was tremendous racism and division between the, the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Samaria's received the word of God. We're in the process of bringing in all the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. But it takes a little while for these things to happen. So they're not quite sure what's going on. They send Peter and John. So they send the bigwigs in to make sure that this is okay. So they send Peter and John to them. Verse 15. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So here, Peter and John, they show up. These people have been baptized. They've received faith in God. But they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. You know, some people just get the Holy Spirit. And some people, not so much. Like there's some people that they're just like, yeah, I'm right with you, man. There's other people are like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Help me understand that. As I've thought about how do I try to express what it means to receive the Holy Spirit to people, I think the word, you know, used to be Holy Ghost in the King James, you know, now it's Holy Spirit. I think a word that if we don't take it in a too secular of a sense that might be a helpful word to use is holy mentality. A holy mentality, it's where our mentality shifts. It's where our heart changes. So instead of a, a prideful mentality or a, any kind of these wrong mentalities where you see the world in the wrong way, instead you receive the Spirit of God, your, your heart changes, your vision changes, and your mentality changes because you receive this different Spirit. So if we were to say mentality, but agree that there's a spiritual component to that mentality, then I think a holy mentality might be a good way to, to put that. So... They pray that the Spirit would come on them. And then verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So this was a separate event after their conversion and baptism. And then verse 18, when Simon, this is Simon the sorcerer, not Simon Peter. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And then, uh, and Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You know, Simon, he's, he's catching on a little slow. He saw this was a good thing and he's used to buying magic tricks from people. I mean, uh, he's a sorcerer. 
And so he's like, hey, how does that work? I'll pay you for that because that's really cool. And then, you know, Peter's like, no, you don't get it. And then he says some rather harsh things uh, after this. We're not going to read the whole passage. But one of the things Peter says to Simon is, perhaps God will forgive you. Perhaps. <laughs> Look it up, man. There's a perhaps in there. You know, like they took this very, very seriously. But there was a, a receiving of the Holy Spirit that happened that John and Peter wanted to make sure this happened because they obviously had converted, they'd been baptized, there were things they were believing, but they hadn't received of the Spirit yet. So they needed to receive that. So they prayed for him, laid hands on him, and they received it. And then Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39 is the culmination of Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And this is the, the final part of the sermon. Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So imagine if you were someone who had yelled crucify. They also yelled, let his blood be on us and on our children. Imagine if you came to realize this was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Holy One from God, the Alpha and the Omega, and I cast my vote against him. Then you're thinking, this isn't good. This is a bad place to be. So Peter explains all that. The miracles that have been happening and the overflow of the Holy Spirit in the moment are sufficient to get them in that place where they're able to understand. So they hear this message that Jesus, whom they crucified, was both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is the dream of every preacher. Where it isn't like, yeah, okay, I guess, maybe. But what do you want me to do? <laughs> just, just tell me. It's the dream. And he's got thousands of people that are like, oh, guess we were wrong. What do we do now? Here's what he tells them. Verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's uh, repenting, being baptized, and their sins are forgiven, and then there's a gift, a promise of the Holy Spirit, holy mentality, if you will, a change of heart. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I love verse 39 because it makes it clear that it wasn't just for the context of that day and those people. It was for them, it was for the people in the future, it was the people who weren't there, and it's for everybody God's going to call. So that includes us. Hallelujah for that. So we can repent, we can be baptized, and we can have our sins forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we have to receive. It isn't something like the letter of the law that we learn. It's something from God that we open ourselves to and receive. It's a different type of concept. So the idea is divine impartation rather than mere self-discipline. Do you get that? Divine impartation rather than just buckling down and doing good. There's a divine impartation that's part of this. And this is where true freedom comes from. Because rather than perpetually fighting the urge to sin, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, your urges begin to change. Instead of wanting to do someone harm, you will then want to help someone. 
instead of wanting to, to go over here and do something you know you shouldn't do, you start to see through it and realize that it's a trick of the enemy. There's a hook in that beautiful night crawler, and I'm not going to eat that thing. I'm going to go another direction. You can see past it. That's where you get free. It's a process, but it starts. And what often will happen is people will miraculously get set free of one thing. And then have to plug away at a whole bunch of others. (laughs) It's a really interesting thing. I don't know why that happens, but I've seen it over and over and over again. Where, you know, somebody will be like, I just got set free from smoking. It's gone. I don't even want to smoke. And yet they've got all these other things that they have to work through. And have to fight against the desire to do what they know they shouldn't do. That just seems to be part of how that works. And so it's a process, but it's a receiving of divine impartation. So there's more than just an intellectual side to your walk with Christ. There's a spiritual side to it too. If there's one mistake that the American church is making, it's that we've over-intellectualized our faith. There is a spiritual component to walking with God, to being a follower of Christ. There is a spiritual peace to it where we abide in the vine and we receive from God and we walk forward in divine power with divine impartation. The Galatians dealt with this. Let's look at Galatians 3 verses 2 and 3. And uh, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Galatia who started one way and then they tried to finish a different way. I would like to learn just one thing from you. So is this going well? Yeah, the book of Galatians, Paul yells at them a lot. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? He's saying like, you, you received the Holy Spirit from God. Did you get that by walking in the law, by the letter of the law? No, you got that by faith, by believing, by trusting God. And then verse 3. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Do we sometimes try to attain our goal by human effort? Yep, I'm going to just, I'm going to do right now. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, this time I'm not going to mess up. This time I can do it. But the idea is not to take our broken mentality and just gut through life with that. It's that we replace the things inside of us that are wrong, we lay the old man down and we are brought up new, new in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. We don't fix the old man. We bury the old man and we walk in newness of life, a new creation. So many times in Bible times, people would get a new name. The apostle Paul was Saul. He became Paul. Simon Peter became Peter. They got new names because they were so changed that they didn't even associate with who they used to be. The old is gone, the new has come, including a new spirit within them. Not an angry spirit, not a dark spirit, but a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit from God imparted in them. And there are fruits of this Holy Spirit that we receive, that we open ourselves to. And there can be Different levels of receiving of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I'm always careful to clarify is 
People are worried, you know, like, oh, this person has the Holy Spirit, that person doesn't. I don't think it's like that. I think it's a matter of degrees. It's not so on and off because the Holy Spirit calls people who aren't even believers to follow God. So the Holy Spirit interacts with people who aren't even believers. I can remember before I became a Christian, times like, don't do that. Go somewhere else. Get out of here. Have you ever had those moments? And I wasn't even a believer, but I believe God was protecting me because he had a plan for me, like he's got a plan for all of us. Even though I wasn't a believer yet, he's like, this kid better not ruin his life right now. I better get him going the right way so that when he gets saved, he's going to have the opportunity to walk in the things he needs to walk in. So I was like, okay, you know, and, and just went that way. That's the Holy Spirit acting on someone who's not even a believer. I've experienced that. Then when you come to faith, of course, the Holy Spirit has way more opportunity to interact with you. And there's a description of something which is like being dropped in a pool of the Holy Spirit, which is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's where it's just an envelopment like swimming in the Spirit. And that's a a deep, powerful experience. And for me, that was an absolute heart transplant, a different heart was put in, ask my wife about that, she will testify that there was a significant and lasting heart change. So we have to receive this thing from the Spirit. We can't by our own effort and by just learning and doing, we can't have this. It's a thing that we receive. It's a spiritual thing from God. So there are fruits that come from the Holy Spirit. Fruit is something that grows over time. That you may not see immediately, but you see later. It's November, it's, it's hunting season already. If you're a hunter, I hope things go well. I pray for hunters until 10 a.m. on Sunday. Then I pray for the deer. Come to church at 10.45. All right, I'll be praying for the deer during the second service tomorrow. So no sense being out in the woods. But if you're a gardener, most of your garden's in. You might have some potatoes still out there. You know, there might be a few roots that you haven't dug up yet. But for the most part, your garden is in. It didn't happen the day that you planted that you got the fruit. You know, I planted popcorn this year. If you were around this this spring, I was talking about planting popcorn. I grew popcorn. It was this high and it was amazing. And I found out something very important, which is squirrels love popcorn. (laughs) And I also found out that my wife loves me because the squirrels were eating my popcorn. And she ran outside with a broom and started whacking at the squirrels. And broke the broom. She doesn't care about my garden at all. I know that. So she must be like, they're getting his popcorn. And she went after him with a, with a broom. It, it warmed my heart. But fruit comes over time. And so as we receive from the Holy Spirit, our life changes, our mentality changes, our outlook changes, our desires change, and there's fruit that happens. And this fruit is described in Galatians chapter 5, and you'll notice these are internal things, not action things, but heart condition things. So we'll read a bit of a section here, Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit." 
Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let's keep in pace with that because if our heart is in that condition, then we don't have to worry about being told what to do because we'll already have the Spirit of the law and we'll do the right thing. We won't do a dumb thing because of impatience. We won't do something we shouldn't do because of a lack of love. We will do the right things because we have the Spirit in us. Let me ask you this question. What would your life be like if you fully attained to the fruits of the Spirit in your heart? What would your life be like if your heart was full of love, of joy, of peace... Full of patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What would your life be like? What would you be like to be around? So what would your family's life be like? What would your spouse or your kids or your parents or your schoolmates or your work, what would their lives be like if you had all of these things in your heart? How many of your problems would be solved if you had the fruits of the Spirit in your heart in their fullness? This is a big deal. We want to attain to these things because this is abundant life in Christ. To be walking around in this world full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these other things. To have that be our world. The way we see the world, the the state of our heart. If that's where we're at, that's abundant life in Christ. Now I take this list as a promise. Not as an undoable obligation. I take this as a promise. God wants me to be full of love and full of joy and full of peace and full of patience and all the other things. And I take this as a promise. I don't feel guilty if I'm not there yet. I put my faith on it and believe God for the promise to come to pass, to be manifest, for me to be able to have my heart fully changed to receive these fruits of the Spirit. Because if we look at this list and think, yeah, I better get on that. Then both we're going on our own strength and we will be prone to guilt (laughs) and negative emotions that will derail us. So I take these as a promise. Lord, your word says the fruits of the spirit begin with love. And I know that doesn't come from human effort. I've got my role. I have to be diligent. I have to pray. I have to be open and receive. But Lord, this is something you add to us. And so give me more of your spirit and help this fruit to grow so that I can be a person of love. I believe it as a promise. What's the process for growing fruit? We talked about the popcorn a little bit. First, I had to plant it, have the soil prepared. Then you got to water it. You got to weed it. It's got to grow. You got to keep the squirrels away and then you get fruit. It's a long process. Sometimes there's miracles. Sometimes there's that miraculous heart change. I've experienced that and I've also experienced the long process. What's the problem with long processes? If we don't have the patience part yet, (laughs) we tend to go for a shortcut. And if there's something in your heart that's missing, if love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, if those things are missing and you're desperate and it's 
going to take too long to get those good things. Sometimes people take shortcuts. And that's where a different list (laughs) in Galatians chapter 5, the three verses prior to this list of the fruits of the Spirit, where a list of the things that are from the sinful nature come in. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, this is immediately prior to the list of the fruits of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says this, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What if your heart is full of all of those things? Then you're in a tough spot. You're in a difficult place, but a lot of those things are unhealthy coping mechanisms that just dig us deeper into a hole, into a place of despair, into a place of serious problems. Instead, what we want to do is reject the sinful nature and instead receive the Holy Spirit. Then we will do the acts of the Holy Spirit and not the acts of the sinful nature. As we go through this series, we're going to look at specific fruits of the Spirit, and today we're going to look at joy. We're going to look at joy. What is joy? One definition of the Greek word that's translated joy here in Galatians chapter 5 is calm delight. I thought that was a neat one. It's not necessarily like, woo, we won the Super Bowl, but it's a consistent, over time, calm delight that sustains that you know isn't going to fall apart at any moment. That's joy. So we want to have joy. The opposite of joy would be constant discontentment, despair, things like that. I think we have a sense of what joy is, but the rub is, how do we get joy? How do we get to joy? I tell you, you got basically two options. You've got the sinful nature, or you've got the Holy Spirit. You got those two options. Now, the sinful nature is not going to bring us to joy because it will bring us to dark places and it'll be difficult. But how many people have thought, you know what? I know how I can be happy by doing this thing I know I'm not supposed to do. Why do we do that? (laughs) Because we're not that smart. But we get pulled into these things that we know we shouldn't do. So we, we have to decide if we're going to go with the Holy Spirit or if we're going to go with the sinful nature. God wants us to have the fruits of the Spirit that last. That each time you get something good from God, instead of like flying in the air and then crashing back down, it's like taking a step up along a long stairway. And you take another step and another step and you don't fall back down. It might be a long stairway and a lot of work climbing to the top of it but you don't fall back down. Let me just give you three things as we talk about joy and how we can attain that. First thing I want to say is that today I give you permission to have joy. This life has its difficulties. There are people in here that have been through a lot, a lot, a lot of tough stuff. People can get to where they feel guilty for being happy. They can get to where they feel like, how could I be happy? Or how could I be happy when this happened to that person? Or I've just seen too much. I give you permission to have joy. And it's something that God expects you to have. It's his plan. 
So release any hindrances and receive the permission to have joy. Then I want you to know the source of joy. Yielding to your anger will not bring you to joy. Yielding to lust will not bring you to joy. Yielding to greed will not bring you to joy. Yielding to anything in the sinful nature will not bring you to joy. Now, there can be some fun times on the way to destruction, but realize it doesn't last and it's an illusion anyway. Know the source. Romans fifteen thirteen says this, May the Lord of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to those words. May the God of hope fill you, who fills you with joy and peace. Our God in heaven, what's our part? As you trust in him, our part is to put our faith in God, to trust in God, and then he will fill us with joy and with peace. And he's the God of hope, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our source of joy is God. Sin will hurt you. Don't trust it. Trust God. Get right with God and rejoice in salvation. One of the great things about the cross of Christ is that the sins of the world have been forgiven for, and all we need to do is receive that forgiveness to get right with God. Now you might think your sins are too much. Jesus died for the sins of everybody in the whole world. Your sins are not too much. In fact, I like to say this sometimes to people when they're telling me, oh, I've done this, I've done that, I'm so bad. I say, who do you think you are? Your sin is greater than the blood of Christ. You're not that fancy. You're not more powerful than the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, sacrificing himself as part of the plan of history on the cross. Your sin isn't greater than that. You don't know what you're up against. You're up against the love of God. It is more powerful than your insecurities and your failures. Get right with God and rejoice in salvation and then enjoy who you were created to be. We're all different. We have things about ourselves, which we at first probably don't like, but you come to peace with who you are and how God made you, and you trust him, and then you enjoy who you are made to be. So our first point, again, is I give you permission to have joy. Know the source of joy is the second one. It's not sin, it's God. And then the third thing is fruit grows over time. It's not about flying high. It's about walking up a huge staircase, but you can stay up. Let's read Acts 2.38 again. We read this at the beginning. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied to the masses who were saying, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be forgiven. Hallelujah. And then let's receive. There's a gift. There's a new nature, a new creation, a new way to see the world. The promise of forgiveness and salvation is for you. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. And over time, the fruits of the Spirit will grow and become more and more.